Two Queer Arabs is a podcast that focuses on what it means to be queer, Arab, political, and finds comedy in all the seriousness. Um, welcome to Two Queer Arabs. Just to let you know, we're recording. Okay. So everything you say can be used against you in oh, no. uh, your social life. <laughs> this is why we don't make it. money. This is, this is, yeah, this is why this costs us both time and money. <laughs> but it's okay because we get to talk to really cool people that we're fans of um, and you are one of them. So particularly bad because this is a friend, both, both of you are friends. This person's a friend. So now I have like no respectability. I'm like, it's okay Dude, if I brush Hold my on, teeth, hold on. I'm going back up. When did you have respectability that this yeah, was the point that threw true. over the edge? Right? That's what I'm talking about. Listen, no, just that's kidding. true. <laughs> I think um, after our first episode, we went, um, you know, we basically showed our cards to the world. Um, but we're really excited to have you on, Yasmin. Hopefully you've listened to a few episodes so you know that we can go to real fun places with this show. Um, so stop, enter stop at your own risk. People, I have I to listen to episodes. They clearly don't. No, and some, do, of do. some of them do. Not true. That's and not this true. One, for some reason, actually listens, but how <laughs> she feels compelled in some weird way. Listen. So now you you have Will no you excuses. This it? isn't. This isn't like cold. You actually know what you're getting into now. So uh, I have only myself to, to little, blame. Yeah, sorry. you did want me to go a little easy on you today, and I said, um, "Sorry, Aww. I have to. <laughs> I have to take it where it goes." So really, you're leading the conversation today. But I want to go ahead and introduce you to our our audience. We are now um, every episode we are getting a new country. So this is really exciting. We are now being listened to at 54 countries around the world. Um, wow. About 15 Arab countries in that mix. So really fucking exciting um, for That's us so that cool. we have such a wide audience. Just to let you know who's listening to you um, in this episode. Uh, so for those of you who are listening around the world, uh, we are talking with Yasmin Nasser Diaz, who is a multidisciplinary artist. And her practice draws uh, upon many different mediums. And we're really excited to have her. One of the aspects of her work that I'm really interested in, and of course, Yasmin, talk about anything you want. It doesn't have to be what I want. But what I'm super interested in in your work, um, outside of um, these great installations that you're doing, and I've been looking at your site and your work, is the narratives of third culture identity. Uh, This, uh, from your words, the precarious invisibility, hypervisibility, and the friction often experienced between the individual and the collective. And that's super excited for me to discuss because I think there's a lot of third culture folks listening. And what is that? How does that engage with your artistic work? And what types of artistic work do you find uh, to be the most powerful for what you're trying to engage in? I first of all, can I just say that I love your banter? That was I have listened to a few episodes and <laughs> I love the dynamic between you two. And I'm honored to be here and thank you for having me. Um so yeah, feel free to like interrupt and banter at any moment. It makes me more comfortable. <laughs> I feel like I'm like you know, in a family like living room, uh, which is great. I love I love that that's how your podcast feels. So awesome. Um, Welcome. I had yeah, okay. So um so I'll start with like third culture identity, what that means. I kind of like broaden the 
definition of the term, like in my work and it's, um, I'm probably going to butcher it, I, but it's just, well, you're an um, artist. Describe... You can define it however you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Thanks. You own it. You own it. <laughs> so, um, so third culture identity, like basically represents, you know, just speaks to people who have not, um, maybe like, um, like grown up in like one place their whole lives or come from like one like ethnic or cultural background, like generally encompass like a mishmash of backgrounds. Um, or like, let's say, let's say like, for example, someone's father might be Nigerian who married a British woman, but then, and maybe they started living in the UK, but then moved to, you know, Thailand and, you know, had a child that grew up for a good amount of time there and then relocated to, India or the U.S. or whatever, and so that child, you know, has uh, just this unique um, uh, grouping of, of of backgrounds, you know, and like maybe maybe speak multiple mm-hmm. languages, and you know, and so there's so many wonderful things about that. I think a lot of the things that people of third culture did, and this can like I'm just a straight up like child of immigrants, like pretty simple. My parents immigrated from Yemen. Um, before I was born to the U.S., where I was born and raised, and so that so similar like to Jude and myself, of- where we were raised in the U.S., but our parents are uh, were not born in the U.S. Yeah, and so on the simpler end of third culture, but still, I totally consider third culture because it's like you know, for many of us, especially first gens, you know, we have such distinct like at home lives and outside of the home life. You know, it's almost like living in two different countries sometimes, you know, especially I think for those of us that whose families have migrated from the global South to the global North, um, you know, being raised in collectivist cultures in society that are much more individualistic or prize, you know, individualistic, you know, um, values. Um, it's, it's um, it can be quite conflicting to grow up that way. And so that's where a lot of my work is rooted in that territory and just like navigating that, like so much of my work has focused on specifically like the coming of age period. I'm kind of obsessed with that period of life, like even more so as I get older um, because it's such a foundational period of our lives. And it's the Judy Bloom effect for anyone our age. Knows oh. the Judy Bloom? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. Well, why don't you explain to people what that means for those people? Yeah. No, I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt the, uh, the, <laughs> no. the lovely. I mean, you just did. So no, no, go ahead, no. go ahead. No, I, no, no. I, I just wanted to say that uh, I wanted to put a, a, a pin in Judy Bloom. I also wanted to to have our guests keep talking. I also want to say that my mom has often defined her defined herself as that being in that category after coming back mm. from a trip to the middle east where it's like i don't i'm not arab enough anymore after a 40 year departure to the west and i'm not and will never be american enough mm. so it's like yeah not necessarily you know, the, i actually the dated some i dated somebody from jordan and she said it really really interesting she said you know, because she was born and raised in Jordan her whole life, her whole family, but then she moved to the States to go to school. She said, the only place I feel actually comfortable is in the air between the two. Wow. You know, where she feels like that is where yeah. she's her because mm. she's not American in the yeah. sense of, you know, being born and raised here, but mm-hmm. 
but she's when she's there, she's no longer the same Jordanian that she grew mm. up. And so I yeah. thought that was pretty heavy when when the only safe place or familiar place or place that you feel can feel whole is in be- literally in between wow. places in an airplane. Oh man, that's like really beautiful and kind of heartbreaking at the same mm-hmm. time. But that's that's a really interesting point. Like this feeling or one of the feelings of of being like, you know, third culture is um that feeling of like, yeah, not feeling like totally fully belonging anywhere. And and it's interesting because it's like it doesn't it doesn't just apply to people who were are like children of immigrants or or raised some you know, like right. their parents in their childhood. I've, I've definitely heard that, like even adults that like lived most of their life or, or like, let's say, like, I'm sure my parents have felt that like, you know, I mean, they came to the U.S. as, full, you know, adults. Um, but then when you, the time period that um, generally there's long periods of time between like going back to the homeland and visiting and it changes mm-hmm. and you change and the way you talk even changes a little and people treat you differently there's such yeah. a history of Arabs when they, and I think most ethnic groups, but specifically, you know, talking about Arabs, when they come to the U.S., wherever they left, whatever their existence was when they left is how they live forever, right? So, yes. like, you get yes. really conservative oh. people because they left in the 60s, but then, yeah. like, the country has changed. Like, when, you know, my father came from Morocco, and for him, Arabness and religion and everything was from the 60s. But Morocco changed, yeah. but he didn't, right? Yeah. So these, yeah. these people, and then they only go back so many few times because uh-huh. it's expensive. And I want people in the Arab world to hear this. We're not yeah. rich in the U.S. We can't visit all the time <laughs> because people talk shit to me. Why didn't you visit? We don't have money to just get on a flight yeah. with five people. Oh, you know, it's right? more than about money. It's more than money. Oh, but no, <laughs> it, I think it really, it's not just money, but I mean, when you no, have two weeks it, off. My mind, yeah. no, you have five it. people, and then you have to buy everyone and their brother something okay, like all, it becomes yeah, a really a that's, some real, that's some real BS. Yes, you shouldn't visit because <laughs> right, okay, it's expensive. Okay. Sorry, but sorry. My mom, no, no, it my is mom, expensive. That, that mom, was my that was my experience. We literally no, didn't that go was, because yeah. it was too much money. That was my that experience, was but but also I believe that there was a lot of lies behind all that. For example, <laughs> if we could fucking Yes, me, anytime you want to just jump in on it. <laughs> I'm just enjoying this. Also, so many things are kind of like, wow, there's so much to talk about. But well, so. hopefully You're our goal is that we things. just, yeah, we're just going to talk your ear off and then hopefully uh, you'll create something artistic from no, this. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, maybe. I'm, just, I'm collecting I, I material. Just, <laughs> my issue my issue with my co-hosts always is that they speak in such broad brushstrokes that sounds like yeah. they're like set in stone. And that's all I'm trying to say is like, it's a little more nuanced than that. Maybe, but I, what I was trying to add to this, to this is like, yes, money for a lot of us was a big issue, including my, my own families. But I think, I think a lot of it was just the stuff that wasn't spoken that also became hard to visit as my mom, I suspect became more American than she liked to, as my mom, like realized her kids, her kids weren't like going to be viewed in a certain way mm-hmm. which took them home as her family judged her for remaining in this foreign place you know all her family stay there there's so many the there guilt so many the, the guilt, guilt i think i mean guilt. Our, come on our people are like masters at weaponizing you know <laughs> the kind of oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> guilt and you know shame and and just even even if I think sometimes it's so convoluted, like the use of guilt, like sometimes it's like it's supposed to come out as like love, like, oh, 
you know, we miss you and we don't see you enough, but then it's, it's really hard. Like the saying goodbye, probably. Yeah. I think the emotional difficulty I'm sure was like part of it, but also just to speak to like the whole, like, um, I agree with you. I should like, you can't come empty handed. Like it was like, I remember when my parents would go to Yemen, it was like, and I th- feel like they would sometimes like, it's like try, try empty to, suitcases. Oh my God. They would try to keep it a secret for a while because as soon as another family found out, oh, it was like, Oh, I, everyone's gotta, everyone's family needed to be uh, visited and drop something. Oh, off. oh, not just vis- no, no, no. Everyone had a list. Yeah. You were like, and let me tell you, you could we. My mom made the horrible mistake one year of coming back, coming to the Middle East with knockoff Barbies, and she is still not living that down. That's <laughs> no, like thirty five years what? later. You guys keep saying things that just make me want to ask you questions because I'm like, we had. I remember these trips to like you know, when I was a kid, it was like Sears and Kmart where my parents would go to shop when they were, you know, going to the blood. Um, Sears and then but, cre- creeping at what crept up into the shopping sphere as we got older was Target. But yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Today, oh, are you I'm bougie, sure. Target? Target's bougie. <laughs> no, bitch, my mom worked there. Not bougie. <laughs> okay, oh. well, if you, had the, if you had the employee discount. Otherwise, that's for rich people. That's Target. exactly, that's exactly <laughs> Um, there was something else uh, that came up about like, like culture being frozen. Like that is such a thing that like, you know, has come up in conversation, um, like with me and other, like, you know, third culture kids and, um, and something I hadn't thought about for, for, I don't know, a long time, but, um, but it's so true. And, um, I feel like a lot of Yemenis say that like, oh yeah, we're frozen in like 1972 or something. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was an influx, you know, in late sixties, early seventies, but it's so interesting to me. Like I, I remember after one, but the first time I did an installation and I had this conversation, like just for, it was just like for any kind of, you know, anyone that identified in that way, like third culture or whatever. And, um, and so many people, when that topic came up, were like nodding their heads and saying mm. like, yes, us too. And I remember talking to this girl, you know, his family was from Turkey and, um, and just um, talking about like when she went back with her family, I think she was like 13 or something. And, and like her friends were like, why are you talking that way? Like we, we've already like moved past that, you know, like you guys yeah. sound so like backwards and you know, it's so mm-hmm. interesting, like coming from the West, going back to the East and being called backwards. And, and, um, and yeah. And like, I definitely, when I thought about that later, it was like, that's so interesting, you know? And I think that really, um, and again, going back to like coming of age, I feel like um, that uh, can like young, you know, kids and especially, you know, uh, young girls like are feel that um, feel the effects of that in a particular way, because at least like, I mean, my experience and and I've spoken to other people in Yemeni, like communities of diaspora, they're like, we're we tend to be on the more insular side, you know, and I, I would say there's lots of like, you know, di- communities of diaspora that are, that are, that are, you know, pretty tight, you know, tight knit. And, um, but um, I think there's like this, this, this feeling of like wanting to protect young girls, you know, that are becoming women. And, but it can, it can often feel like um, just over, overly controlling, you know, like wanting to preserve the culture and wanting to like, prevent these young people from being affected too much by the West, even though we're living in the West. And so, um, 
I don't know, that was a, a really challenging period for me. And um, is something that I like kind of investigate a lot in, in my work. So that actually makes me interested if you could talk more about your work itself, because you seem to be engaged in a lot of different artistic expressions. And I'm wondering, you know, is there a reason that you're doing so many different things? Do you prefer one method over another? And is all of it related to your identity? That's a good question. Um, the medium has changed, like, based on the content. You know, it's kind of happened pretty organically. Um, so I only started making work that was identity-based around five six years ago. Before that, I didn't talk about myself or my background. Like I didn't reference my background at all. There was a pretty distinct shift. Um, and up until that point, I had mostly been painting and that work is very different. It's not on my website. You know, um, basically gradually, like, like uh, over the years building up into that point, I, I got to a place where I couldn't not talk about certain issues anymore. Like I didn't want to go there at all. Why? What happened? What did. was the shift? Um, it was, it was a lot of things. I mean, for one, you know, my personal background, you know, is, is a little precarious and I was private about it for a long time. You know, I was estranged from my family for a really long time and it just wasn't something that I wanted to talk about with people. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically, you know, time had passed to where, you know, I had done emotional work and was just ready to go there. And also, you know, in the years like after 9-11, the way people of Swana, you know, Southwest Asian, North African background are talked about in like the media and, um, you know, for a long time, and it still is like, like so much conversation in this country, especially in the U.S. is like very polarized and not very nuanced. You know, there were not a lot of nuanced you know, narratives out there. And it's really frustrating for somebody whose background is like, well, mo you know, everyone has nuance, you know, in their stories. Like, but um, what was frustrating to me, or one of the things was that like, um, especially people who are, you know, of Muslim heritage, it's like, you're either good or evil, you know, like, you know, of course, on the right, it's like, we're all like, evil terrorists and need to go back, quote unquote, you know, to where we came from. And then a lot of times on like left, uh, you know, leftist like platforms, it was just, there just wasn't a lot of nuance, especially in terms of religion. And not that I like necessarily like want to talk about religion a lot or ever or did in my work, but you know, like that's been a point of kind of conflict for me. And Secretly, I think we want some like high level fatwa thrown on us so that <laughs> no! we can get some sponsorship. <laughs> No, I mean, listen, Yasmin, you're on a show called Two Queer Arabs. You're associated <laughs> with the queers, so you're already like, so hot on bucket. I so they don't even want you. They're gonna be like, she's a Jew. That's okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but you don't think the fatwas go? To, I mean, have you seen Larry David? Didn't wasn't there a fatwa against him in his show? Oh well, yeah, what I brought on the fatwa? Anyone, I can't remember. Anyone can issue a fatwa. Once I learned that, I was like, fatwas aren't that cool. Anyone. <laughs> You and I can issue fatwas against each other. A, B, not all fatwas are bad. You can have like fatwas that are akin to like declaring a city to be like, you know, nuclear free. So some fatwas are good. But all right, that's that's start normalizing that shit. That's start bringing that. I know. My point is, as I'm yeah. trying to say, it was normalized. Fatwas have been normalized yeah. for a long time. Oh, the man. bad fatwa is yeah. like the West norm, like being like, ooh, scary, you know, yeah. which yeah. they are scary, but. 
I'm just saying. So is that the concern, Yasmin, that somebody's going to like put a fatwa on you <laughs> if they realize that you don't believe in organized religion? No, it's, you know, first of all, apostasy is is still considered, is like, is like punishable by death in several countries. I mean, not that in like. In Pakistan, I know for sure. Yeah. And Yemen as well. Oh yeah. It's there's like, a lot of actually countries that, I mean, there's several countries that Jude and I should never visit because just so many parts of who we are is punishable by death. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like people, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe what your perspective is, but I think there's like, there's a lot more conversation and, and, and people, you know, uh, being open about being queer and Muslim, but not about being like agnostic or atheist and formerly have been Muslim. Cause I think, I don't know. My experience is that like, even like within the like community level, family level, like that is like, it's so bad, you yeah. know, to like admit so that. So you think it's actually better in, in, to be queer than to be an atheist? I'm not saying that, but I'm but saying. Not better. See- Baby better is not a good word. Do you think it's more tolerable for some communities to accept queerness over being an atheist? Like, is that I the see, like I, top I, level of like, do not red line? I'm just based on what I see people being more vocal about it's like obviously it's still like there's still so much you know like work to do on in, in on all the areas but like or in terms of acceptance and um but I just don't see a, as like I, I know more people that are you know uh agnostic but that that aren't willing to say that come you out know? as agnostic That's yeah or atheist, fascinating. you know but you like, also don't identify as being queer, right? You identify as being straight. So I I think that's also important for people to hear, like not all of our guests are queer. I think that's been pretty obvious since the beginning, but because we're talking about queerness opposed to like being an atheist or agnostic, you are not queer, but you are agnostic. And that's kind of where your shame is. Cause you know, Arabs all have to have shame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, you know, it's like, I definitely don't personally have shame about it, but my family definitely shames me for sure. And it is the worst thing. So how does this complicate things translate into your art? Because it's you, 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 you started by saying that until five years ago, your identity wasn't part of this. And because there was, it sounds like a lot of trauma around your identity um, that you didn't want to express in your art is my assumption. Um, So what was the shift in terms of like why that's important to you to have that centered in your work? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Thank you for bringing back, like just kind of <laughs> diverting. Oh, no, that's what so we do. We're, we go on tangents. Yeah. So welcome. No, it's great. I love the tangents. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, um, one of the kind of building frustrations I had was like this feeling and it wasn't just a feeling. I started to see like some articles that like, you know, just um, spoke more directly to how like um, people in like Solana communities like felt didn't always feel like they could talk about things like the patriarchal violence for example in our communities because it was like don't make us look bad we already look bad but mm-hmm. like we weren't always talking about those things ourselves either you know mm-hmm. and it was like this feeling that there wasn't room for this kind of like nuance like oh if you talk about this well then you're just going to add to these negative stereotypes about us and i was like you know, what about us? What about those of us that have suffered the consequences of this, like, kind of violence, you know, like, who, who how do we connect with each other? Like, and so, um, yeah, I just got to a point where I, I, I really needed to just finally, like, share some of these things. And so um, I started with collage, and I just happened to go to this collage night at this community, like, you know, this feminist center for creative work that I was a part of. And, um, 
I hadn't done collage maybe since I was a kid, but um, at the end of the night, I had made a bunch of collages and I like didn't recognize the work as my own. It was so radically different. And like the feeling that I had making the work was like really playful and they were all kind of like, there's this biting humor in all of them that just kind of happened very intuitively. And that feeling was like, oh, okay. Like maybe this is the vehicle that I'm going to use to like talk about these things because I always need humor. First of all, like I need some kind of levity to balance out difficult conversation. And that just like happens without thinking about it for me with collage. And so like the first series of work that I made was um, very directly autobiographical. And it had like several pop cultural references Mm -hmm. in there, like a lot of, you know, um, like, uh, like pop artists like that were heavily rotated on MTV, which played a huge role in like shaping my identity at that time. Um, And um, uh, like uh, Boy George and Prince and Annie Lennox. So basically the queer or queer looking. (laughs) hundred percent like that. So, you know, MTV for people that don't know before the internet, um, we was like the main mode of like, like being introduced to new artists. And, um, it was like the first visual, like, you know, platform like to see basically MTV was like the videos 24 seven, you know, Mm. uh, like blue, you know, all our minds, I think, you know, young people who are, you know, paying attention to it. And, um, I am a child of, uh, eight kids when you're, you know, a middle child in a big family, kind of one of the benefits is people aren't always paying attention to you. So I was in front of the TV a lot. So you got to see all the gay um, performers on MTV. Yes. And I, and I loved it. And like that, so, and, and what was really became kind of, uh, almost mainstream at that time was the androgyny that played, mm. you know, like, necessarily talk about it, you know, in the language that we have today, but it was vigilant and quite popular. And, um, and it was amazing. And I loved it. And they became kind of my heroes. Like, so yeah, even though I wasn't queer, um, like, that just made a lot more sense to me. It just like immediately made sense to me. It sounds in a like much it would more... have made more sense to you to be queer. It sounds like you actually had to try hard not to be queer with everything that you're saying. I mean, I was, you know, down with it I don't like you know yeah so um I didn't feel like I was like fighting fighting against that but um you know these rigid like gender boxes and roles that like I was being raised with made a lot less sense to me than like what I was seeing like on MTV you know with The, the, the the thing that and even in this conversation I've been thinking about and and I think it's so important but I'm curious about with your work, like producing work that is critical of your own culture, did you ever concern yourself about like what white audiences would say about it or if it would reinforce Islamophobia or anti-Arabness? Because the conversation we're having in this episode, I think is necessary. It's a conversation that when Arabs get together, like let's talk shit. But when we're with white people, we have to put our heads up high and we're really nothing like you think we are. We're this and that and we're amazing. But when we're with each other, we're like, fucking what the fuck? Oh, 100%. And I think this conversation that we're having, the Arabs who are listening are going to be like, yeah, I I see it. I see you. But there's also a concern of like white folks. And we're like, yeah, see, I told you those people are backwards. Those people are violent or yeah, everyone is backwards in violence in the world. Every 
like every culture yeah. has its forms of backwardness and violence. And to see, to paint all Arabs or all Muslims with one brush is part of what we're always working against. But we also need spaces to talk shit about our people too, <laughs> because 100%. it's not all beautiful and it's not all shit. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering when you're doing these collages and when you're doing these pieces, if you're ever thinking about the audience and how they're going to perceive it or use your work to reinforce what they already think. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, I can't tell you how much anxiety that I had when I first made work about like my experiences. Um, that was a huge source of like trepidation and hesitancy. And maybe another reason why I even waited so long, you know? Um, and I think if you see, and first of all, I'm talking more openly now with you two, you know, like I do talk differently depending on who my audience is. And whenever I do an artist talk, and most of the time it's to audiences that are mixed or at least 50% white. I always start with these. I say, I, I know that I'm often the first person of Yemeni background, first of all, that many people are meeting or you that they have known, you know, depending on the space or the audience. Um, but I like have no intention of renting all Yemenis. I'm not aiming to, you know, represent all Yemeni women or Yemeni American women. This is just my experience. And throughout the conversation, when certain things come up, if I do talk about like, you know, what would have been a forced marriage um, for me that, you know, it, I will reference like how these things don't just happen in our communities and yada, yada. And I have done uh, like, for example, I did collaboration with a, a, a U.S. born white who was raised in a cult and went through it marriage and we made a little book together mm. you know of just like uh, email exchanges that we had and how these similarities of our of our childhoods you know like both feeling like we grew up as like secret agents like living these double lives navigating these spaces like she eventually left the cult but it was really important to me for people to like see her like oh here's this like you know US this white woman who was raised in a Christian cult that like she actually went through with mm-hmm. the arena but um but it's conservatism. I mean, it happens yes, in every exactly, religion. Yes, exactly. It, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about them just because he's like, neg- I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, so much of my life plays into a negative stereotype that is real, you know? But um, but yeah, 100%, I think about those things. And but and it's, it's, it's like, it's such a constant challenge. Like sometimes it bothers me how much some people will say like, oh, what will the white people think looking at this? And I was like, well, what are you more concerned about? Like what the white people will think or like the actual like, you know, trauma some of our own people are experiencing. Like that's sometimes there, mm. there's this like weird like bounce. Like if if I see us, you know, like especially, you know, just I don't know, five, 10 years ago, I'm like, we're not talking about this enough either. You know, a lot has changed in the last like even just five years. But um but um yeah. So anyways, that is is uh, definitely was more of a concern when I started and always will be. You know, I always think about it. Um, but it's one of the, it's, it's also one of the reasons why I first did an installation. Like, um, so I started with that first series of, of collages that I mentioned. Um, and by the way, the other reason why I really like collages, cause I feel like, um, it's such a great medium for people of third culture identity or, you know, children of immigrants, because it's like, you're taking material, like you're cl- clipping images from these different sources, right? Like photos that are taken by different people of all different backgrounds, you know, different kinds of publications. Uh, literally, the texture of the paper is different. Um, mm. And, you know, cutting them up, mashing them up, and forcing them to live together in this space, 
and, wow. you know, maybe awkwardly. And I feel like that's how many of us feel, you know, like, what are we doing here in this space together? You know, what is my, what are these different parts of me that don't kind of make sense maybe? And so, um, yeah, but then I wanted to go a little bit further after that. It was just a series of five pieces. Um, but, um, I wanted to go just a little bit deeper into my own story and, I decided to make uh, my first bedroom installation. And um, the year before I had seen a few like installations by artists of domestic spaces that I thought were really powerful and moving. And there's something about being in this space that just engages people in a different way, you know, in a more, in a kind of visceral way. And I, I knew right away that I wanted the space to be an interactive one where people could come in and engage with the space and touch things, you know, not be this like, Oh, this art space, you know, it's art exhibit and you can't touch anything. So um, it's uh, it was sort of a recreation of the bedroom that I shared with my sisters growing up in Chicago in the nineties. So, um, and I put in like carpeting, I put in this ID wallpaper. It was a design similar to what we had back then um, like this fake wood paneling that is really common in the basements in the Midwest. And then I like, you know, CDs and, you know, cassettes of music from that could come and play and listen to, you know, a Walkman and to cassette tapes. And, and then there was a dresser that had, you know, makeup and perfumes from that era that people were really encouraged, uh, to spray because, smell I think is like the most visceral kind mm. of like time travel and it was like yeah. really wild watching people you know spray loves baby soft and just immediately be taken back in time or um the seed was planted with a few other artists who had done some installation work like in LA and I, and I really found their work to be like just really arresting and powerful and um and so um I, I knew I wanted to make a space that people, the, the difference with mine is that like people could come into it and engage with the room. Um, and so, um, so what, what you see first when you, when you came into the space was you kind of get hit with the nostalgia, right? Like, Oh man, look at that. I had that album, like, and mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I had that blanket or that trapper keeper. Like there's all these nice. artifacts you know, um, from the, how the hell did you get those artifacts, man? eBay has like everything basically and thrift stores, thrift stores are a treasure trove, you know? So that was really fun. I love like shopping for things, but, but eBay, especially like when I wanted, like, I'm like, I know I want loves baby soft perfume on there. Mm. And, um, and then I also had like, you know, bottle that like, it's just something I've had for a long time. These things that spoke to also just like third culture identity. Like this is okay. not, you know, and you so. Know, you um, know what I, if I can interrupt, having yeah. been uh, seeing these exhibits and been blown away, both as someone in the age group that you've targeted to uh, connect with because it's your target group. Um, but also that like, how did you remember the brands and stuff? Cause it's like, if it wasn't for the Jordan <laughs> jeans, which was everywhere and everyone knew about them, I don't remember all the subtleties. So thank you for taking me back <laughs> to those subtleties. Cause apparently I just have a fragmented <laughs> brain that could only remember like broad strokes, but like, I, I I've always wanted to ask you this as uh, it's like, how did you even conjure up those memories to make sure that they're even like yeah accurate you know you know bless the internet algorithms like once you start looking up one thing other things come up it's like (laughs) people who've bought this have also bought this and I was like oh yeah 
Elizabeth Taylor's passion. Totally. My mom wore that, you know, so I'm going to put that on there. You know, it's just, it's, it's like, it's easier than you think, you know, you start digging and just looking up images and it's like, oh yeah, that I'm going to, I want to, I need to try and find like some trapper keepers. And it's wild how the graphics of the trapper keepers, like, have like made such an imprint in the mind. Cause it was like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't have that, but I remember seeing that one like so many mm. times and it was such a thing every fall. Like what, what trapper keeper do you have? You know um, these really visceral kind of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's kind of what hit like all people first was like, even if it wasn't their nostalgia, they still understood it. And like, there was like this fun, you know, kind of like, feeling of interacting with the space and, and also just coming into what people know is a fake, you know, a constructed bedroom. Like, even though people know that like this, none of this was here before, this doesn't really belong to anybody. There is this feeling of privilege of coming into someone's personal space that I think immediately like builds empathy, you know? So there's that first. And what, what the other things that were in the space that like told more, you know, spoke more specifically to my story were, Um, I had about six documents that were framed, just regular eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper kind of scattered around the room that are from like my personal files. So like one of them was like um, a name change document because I changed my name when I left. And another one was like an email correspondence uh, a friend was sending to someone trying to help me find some legal help um, that I needed and just things that referenced my, my specific background. And so And in there, in some of those, like there's a mention of like forced marriage and, you know, violence. And so, but I, you had to go, first of all, go up close to them to read them, you know, and it's not what you saw first. Um, I didn't want to hit people over the head with like, you know, honor-based violence or arranged marriage, you know, I wanted them to have this feeling of like, I mean, just like, you know, you're going over to a friend's house for the first time and hanging yeah. out like, oh, these are the layers, that... the layers of who you are. It's not just one thing or another. Yeah. It's like, I am a, I was a kid who grew up in this country, like taking in this pop culture, just like a lot of people here, like, you know, but there's also these other complicated things that were going on, uh, you know, in my life. And, um, and so I think that like, I don't know installation to me has been a very effective way to like deliver like this information in, in all its complexity, you know? So like, you're not immediately othered, you know? Cause it's like, yeah, I hold, I encompass like many different like layers and I don't, you know, want to just um, it's, it's so not my thing. I don't, it's like, it's not my intention to, um, you know, um, speak ill of like the culture that I come from. It's hard. It's really difficult. You know, like the other thing that I say when I do talk about like my parents, for example, it's like, I've never demonized them as much as like, you know, I think people automatically assume that like, oh, I hate my family or I hate my parent. And it's like that. I've never, I've never felt that I've hated my situation. You know, like I felt like I was born into the wrong situation. So fundamentally different in terms of certain things that it was like, you know, that's what was rough. I was like frustrated. And I mean, like any kid, there are moments where I would say, I hate them, you know, like anybody, but it's like, but I, but I don't, I understand where they're coming from, but I also like know that there are things that I just, I could never, I can't, um, that just, I couldn't reconcile, you know? And so, um, these, these, our stories are so complicated and our love, you know, for our, like where we come from and our families is like, it's, I mean, it's complicated is an understatement for me, you know, 
um, mm-hmm. which is why I take, I, I try to take really great care in how I deliver um, all of this. You know, you know, you asked me earlier about like, oh, do I worry about like I'm worrying about that right now, even <laughs> you know, Hold like on, about, did I just give like, you panic? Did I put it no, in your head no, to make you panic no? But it? it's just you know, like I, it's like it, it's it's funny because it's like sometimes like when if I'm in a space with like I'm like oh like this is mostly you know like Adam that are going to listen to this, and so I don't have to like say the disclaimers, but like, um, or there's like you know I I assume that like people understand that like um, certain things, and I. I, it still is like always a concern, like talking about the complicated things, you know? Right. And, and so, um, I don't know. I was just like running through my head. Like, did I say all the things I need to say to like, make it clear that like, you know, there's a lot that I, you know, love about the community that I, that I come from and, you know, and, and, and have missed about like being in a more like collectivist, like society, but it's like, it's such a double-edged sword sometimes. And so, um, anyways, just, I'm just doubling down on that on how it's like, well, I also think that just reinforces your art, right? So maybe these are topics we shouldn't be sitting here talking on a podcast about as much as viewing what you're producing and having those emotional responses to that artistic expression. Maybe that's a better medium. Maybe that's a better forum because it's clear that you feel more comfortable in that space than this space, because this space is really vulnerable and, and who knows who's listening. We have a global audience. So there are going to be people who listen to this and it says, see, I told you they're all fucked up. We're not saying that we're saying there are people that are fucked up and there are people that are not fucked up just like everywhere else. And you have your own individual experience and you use that in your art to express your own experience and your own experience is all experience that other people can relate to. And that's what makes it really powerful. So I have a, a solo show right now at the Arab American national museum and it's uh, has an installation, another like bedroom installation and a series, uh, a separate section that's a series of these textile works that is about a lot of what we talked about, you know, like the kind of code switching that we do and specifically around that, that time period. And um, I was recently there and one of the events that I had while I was there was like a private like discussion night with just um, Yemeni women in the area um, that wow. has the largest, like that Dearborn has the largest um, population of Yemenis in the U.S. And so, um, so I, my intention was like by having this um, small like discussion group, like just with us, you know, by us, like it was like me and another like Yemeni woman led it was that we wouldn't have to worry about all those things, you know, like the disclaimers mm. that I usually have to make. And, but it was really interesting because I think, you know, I actually still needed to make my own disclaimers to the group or just like, just really state to them. Cause I, I was like, I'm going to start the conversation off by like, you know, talking about this work and just sharing a little bit about myself. Um, I've always found that when other people start and share, it makes it much easier to then maybe, you know, share yourself, you know? And so I shared some really just, uh, you know, vulnerable details about my past and, and the conversation was really interesting. It was actually really a hard night for me because I think that some people maybe felt like, um, it, I don't know, it, it, there, were, there were several people that got very defensive, I would say, about like the Yemeni community. And it was like, wow, this was not my intention at all. Like, you know, to I, I was just sharing like what happened to me and mm-hmm. I wanted people to feel comfortable to share like whatever, like their experience are, you know, in the community. And, um, and I think, 
Um, and I, I'm never, I never come out hot and heavy saying like, oh, we're, you know, this was horrible. Like just, you know, <laughs> um, you know, uh, like, and, and never in any kind of like broad way about Yemenis, you know? Um, but I feel like that was maybe how just sharing my story was maybe interpreted. Um, it was really interesting, you know, and, and, and I, I just, I guess I assumed that like, because we were amongst each other, they would, we wouldn't have to, um, like just consider that. Cause a lot of, um, uh, people were bringing up like how people view Yemenis and how the things that happen here don't just happen here. And it was like, yes, yeah, you know, and I, I felt like I had to, you know, just, um, just state a few times that like, like that, you know, we understand that, like that this wasn't meant to, um, like, uh, single us out in that way, but just to like create a comfortable space, you know, to, to talk about these things. And so I'm trying to think. Of, like, what does why that show up to? So if uh, folks want to go see that show that they could, I guess anyone who's in Michigan, anyone. Yeah. It's, like- it's in Dearborn, which is right next to Detroit. It's up until the end of May. And I mean, if you, so, you know, if you see the work, like the work itself is not like, I would not say it's controversial. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't deliver things. I think not that, I mean, I'm all for controversy, you know, it's just not necessarily my style, you know, but, um, it's, it's about, you know, just a lot more of like the nuanced territory that we've talked about. I was reserving like maybe more deeper pointed conversation for that discussion night, you know, like yeah. in this, in this space, but um, it was just um, trying to think of what got me like talking about this, but it was just, it was just, I mean, your audience, me. whoever your audience is, some people are going to love what you're doing and really relate to it or at least can appreciate it even if they can't relate to it. And other people are going to be triggered by it based on their own identity. So it sounds like you can't, you know, please them all as long as you're staying true to your, because your story doesn't change no matter like who the audience is, right? It's an expression of your, who you are in this, this sense of third culture. Yes. It's good sometimes to talk about this stuff and to put it out in the open. And if you're listening and you want to use this to say, told you so, go fuck yourself. All right. Because we're here not for haters. We're here to show the diversity and the differences within our own beings as well. And our guests are have many different parts of who they are. And, you know, the beauty of our show is we have a lot of artists on. And I think art is just such a beautiful way to express oneself. And I just appreciate you coming on, Yasmin, and sharing your story with us and sharing your artistic expression with us. And we're going to go ahead and put all your social media and your website and the information to your current show up. So if anyone wants to see her work, um, you can, you can uh, find her online and, you know, I'm just really excited to see more of your work. And if I was traveling to Michigan, I would definitely go into this bedroom um, and go back in time. Cause I think that's just fucking cool. So thank you so much for coming on our show and um, dealing with us. Although I was nice today because Jude told me I had to be a little sweeter to you. Oh yeah. Were you, were you nicer than usual? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and that's a wrap. And yellow bye.